welcome back, beloved. Today's video is titled The Coming Salvation of the Jews. That is the Jewish people back in the land of Israel. And the subtitle is They Will Look on Him Whom They Pierced, a prophecy written 500 years before Jesus was even born that we will go through in detail today. And this is part two. The first video, this is the thumbnail, you should go watch it first, is the Jews have been regathered. And that was talking about how the Lord has physically regathered the Jewish people, how he prophesied it thousands of years ago, and has brought the Jewish people back to the land of Israel. Um, just to go over that video very quickly, Israel became a nation again in 1948 and even conquered Jerusalem, the capital city, the most talked about city in the Bible, in 1967. And Jesus here in Luke chapter 21 said that the Jewish people would fall by the sword, just like the Romans when they conquered them, and be taken prisoners to all the nations, and that Jerusalem would be trampled on by the nations until the time of the Gentiles of the nations is fulfilled. And I just went over how this is why historically you have today Jews all over the world and for thousands of years, last 2,000 years, you had very few Jews in Israel because they were expelled from the land, just like Jesus and the Bible, all the prophets predicted. But now today you have 7 million Jewish people back in the land of Israel and Israel is flourishing. So now today I want to talk about the coming salvation of the Jewish people, that how they're going to be brought back into their eternal covenant through Christ. Um, I'm really excited to do it. And so essentially, uh, the Jewish people get saved at the end of the tribulation, the second coming of Christ. Now, Today, we're not going to be going over the entire tribulation, but I have made a video on, you know, if you just want like a 30,000 foot view of the entire tribulation, all the main events, go watch this video. Um, also, the day of the Lord is a great video too. It talks about the second coming of Christ a lot. Today, we're really going to be focusing on, on the Jewish people. And I'm going to do the same thing I did last week. I'm going to reveal to you everything up front right now, okay? Everything, it's in the New Testament. It's going to be clear and give you this look at it. And then you can see it throughout scriptures, all throughout the Old Testament leading to the New. Paul writes in Romans chapter 9, What if God... Whoops, technical difficulty there. We're back. Romans chapter 11, not Romans chapter 9, excuse me. Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, therefore consider the goodness and the severity of God. Okay, so the goodness, those who are saved, the, the Gentiles, the severity of God on those who fell. And he's talking about the Jewish people uh, who stumbled over Jesus. Jesus is described as the stumbling stone. So we're, we're supposed to consider uh, them, right? And let me explain why. He says, towards you goodness, if you continue in his goodness, right? So we should look at the Jewish people right now. Now I'm Jewish myself by blood. Some of them come to Christ, but most of them do not. Most Jewish people reject Jesus as the Messiah and certainly reject him as deity, as, as God in human flesh, right? And so this is how Paul is saying we should react towards the Jewish people who are in a state of rejection, okay? He says, consider the goodness and severity, but he says, I don't want you, brethren, to be ignorant of this mystery. There's a mystery going on with the Jewish people. I don't want you to be ignorant of it because then you'd be wise in your own opinion. That basically means if you don't understand this mystery, you're going to be the only one who thinks you're wise. <laughs> that 
blindness in part has happened to Israel. It, it is a judicial decision. Like they are, as a nation, they are mostly blind until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, until the church, until most of the, the Gentiles come in and are born again. And then it says, so all Israel will be saved. As it is written way back in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, thousands of years before Paul's even writing this, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, from the Jewish people. From Jacob came the 12 tribes of Israel. So what Paul is saying here is, listen, you're not born again and saved because you're this brilliant person and picked Jesus. No, Jesus picked you. He chose you. He saved you. And you were born again by grace through faith in Christ. So if you don't understand this mystery, you'll go around to Jewish people or you'll even go around to just a regular non-believer. If you don't consider the goodness and the severity of God, you'll start to think you believe in Jesus because you're the smartest person out there. But it's just not the truth. And so what Paul is saying is that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the nations come in. Okay, And so then the deliverer will come out of Zion. In the Old Testament, they didn't know that the deliverer was going to be Jesus Christ. It was predicted that they were going to reject their own Messiah and yet the Messiah would never fully and finally reject them. There's a partial rejection. There's a there's wrath right now on the Jewish nation. We talked about that in the last video. Most Jews do not believe in Jesus. But what is coming and what is prophesied to happen is a huge national Jewish revival. I'll show you the scriptures today. About one third of Israel is going to be saved at, you know, at the second coming of Christ. Paul goes on to say, this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And then he says, this is, the, this is part of the mystery that's very important. Concerning the gospel, the good news, they, the Jewish people, are enemies for your sake. They don't understand the grace of God. They want to establish their own righteousness, earn their way into heaven by keeping the law, that's obviously your enemies in that stake. Not, not a violent enemy, but they're totally contrary to the good news of the grace of God. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And what Paul is saying here is the nation of Israel, they're not all going to be saved. They're certainly not all saved right now. There's only one gospel. We have to preach the gospel to anybody, Jew or Gentile. But the nation of Israel has promises from God recorded in the Old Testament and recorded in the New Testament. And those are irrevocable. They have irrevocable promises based on the grace of God that even their apostasy cannot get rid of. Other nations don't have those promises, but the Jewish people do. And so this is what I'm trying to show you from Scripture throughout Deuteronomy today, throughout the prophets, all throughout the Old Testament and culminating in the book of Revelation, obviously. This is the event, okay? Starting here on the left, this, just so you know, this is uh, the Valley of Har Megiddo. This is where Armageddon, roughly where, it's a very large plain, where the, the final clash between the Antichrist and Jesus will take place. But Way before Revelation is written, 90 years after the death of Christ, Zechariah is written in 500 BC. And so here's the two events I kind of want to show you that are very important, okay? 
there will be a siege against Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, this is where nations will gather around them and siege them, cut them off from food. Uh, you know, there will be a massive plundering of Jerusalem. This could take years. This, for all we know, we don't have all the pieces. We prophesy in part. We know in part. We don't have the fullness. For all we know, the entire seven-year tribulation, Jerusalem and parts of Israel could be under a siege. Okay, that doesn't mean they'll be totally conquered. They'll be laid siege. That's very important. And then in Zechariah, it says, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. All the nations will be against Israel in the end times. Revelation 90, when G Jesus literally says in, in uh, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 16, behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. He's saying, look, he's almost like whispering, behold, I'm coming as a thief. Right after that, it's they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon, the plain of Megiddo, Har Megiddo. And what's very important to understand is there's going to be the nations gathering against Israel. There's going to be a siege of Jerusalem. There's going to be a massive clash at Armageddon. Both of those things are going to happen. Uh, and in the midst of all that, towards the end of the tribulation, the like Christ is going to come back. They're going to look at him and there's going to just be the biggest revival in all of history, right? Like millions and millions of people are going to be genuinely born again. And so... A really, really, really common question. And the reason I split these videos up into two parts is a lot of people will ask, now that the Jewish people have been regathered in the land, is that a sign we are near the end times? Because so many times in the video I did last week, it shows you that they'd be back, gathered back to the land and then they'd be saved, right? But it's very clear through scripture that when they're saved, it's at the second coming of Christ. I'm going to show you this today. So it's just a very common question. And normally I answer these questions up front. Today, I'm going to bring you through all the evidence, and then I'm going to give you a very balanced answer at the end of this video. So just like always, let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. Remember, these things written in Revelation about the culmination of history, Revelation is just a clearer picture of everything written in the Old Testament. Almost every single judgment in Revelation, many of the events, Armageddon. I can find Armageddon in Genesis 49 for you. It's so clear. From Genesis to Revelation, God tells a very clear story. If you try and figure out every little detail, it gets murky. But if you just try and get the main events, they're all there. And so we're going to go to Deuteronomy. It's written by Moses 1,500 years roughly before Jesus is born 3,500 years ago. And just like last week, we'll go over some of the stuff, but now focusing on how Israel is going to get saved. Remember in Deuteronomy chapter four, the Lord said he would scatter them among the peoples and they'd be left few in numbers among the nations where the Lord will drive you. There you will serve God's apostasy, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. We know in the end times, the Jewish people will worship the Antichrist. They will worship an image of the beast as well. Apostasy and idolatry will be at the highest level in human history. It says from there, though, you will seek the Lord and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart. The heart is so clear here with all your soul. When you are in distress, okay, guys, this is so important. That word distress, it's just like tribulation. 
And so there's several key points we're going to be talking about, but God from Genesis to Revelation, from Deuteronomy to Revelation, from Old Testament to New Testament is basically saying when you're in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord, your God and obey his voice, he's talking about a genuine repentance amidst a fiery trial, amidst the great tribulation. Deuteronomy 30 brings it to, to light again. It says it will come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessings for obedience in the law and the curse, which I've set before you. And you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord, your God drives you. You return to the Lord and obey his voice. According to all that I command you today, you and your children with all your heart, heart is huge here with all your soul that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. So very important to understand, even though the Jewish people have been gathered at this time of tribulation and this time where Ju Jerusalem is sieged, many people are going to be scattered and sold again as slaves. It's sad, but it's the truth. He goes on to say, then if, when you return, the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed. You, he'll prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart. This is so important. This is the new covenant. I mean, this really is. I'll show you it in the New Testament. This is the new covenant. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart. He'll cut away the filth of your heart and the heart of your descendants, the people after you in the millennial kingdom to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Paul brings this to light when he's writing to the Philippians in the New Testament. He says, we're the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. We rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. These promises in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel, the mystery is the church gets these, the eternal covenant bought with the blood of Jesus Christ gives us a new heart and a new spirit. I mean, it's incredible. This is what the Jewish people are going to get at the second coming of Christ. But it's prophesied all the way back in Deuteronomy. So here are the key parts I want you to understand. We're going to start looking at the prophets in a second. We're going to go through Daniel. You're going to see these parts. We're going to go through Jeremiah. You're going to look at what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse about the end times. You're going to look at a revelation a bit, Ezekiel. And they all have these key parts, a rebellion, idolatry, immorality, you name it, scattered, scattered to the nations, judged, gathered back to the land. This is huge. Keep your eyes on this. Every single Zechariah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, it assumes the Jews have been gathered back to the land, but very clearly in unbelief, very clearly in unbelief. I mean, the Redeemer comes to Zion and banishes ungodliness in Jacob. That means there has to be ungodliness in Jacob, in the Jewish people, to be banished. And this is one of the signs of the times that I find very interesting, that they are back in the land right now, and they're in unbelief. And, and I'm going to show you how it's clearly written in Scripture. They're going to stay in that state, in, in the majority, until the second coming of Christ. There will be a time of tribulation. A, a brutal time for the Jewish people and all the world, right? You read Revelation, it's, you know, half the world population dies in the book of Revelation very clearly. It's a time of tribulation for the whole world, but the hatred of the peoples will be directed towards the Jewish people, just like World War II, just like Hitler and the Holocaust. And finally, a spiritual salvation and cleansing from these sins. And so now you're going to see all the parts. And what we're going to do is we're going to go from vague to specific. Daniel and Jeremiah are kind of vague, 
uh, but they have all the parts and Ezekiel and Zechariah are very, very specific. So it's, it, you'll see, but we're going to be going through the prophets. The prophets were written, you know, all these Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, roughly 800 to 500 years before Jesus is born and about 2,500 to 2,800 years ago. So it's truly amazing that the Jews are back in their land, mostly over the last hundred years. This stuff is written thousands of years ago. So let's start breaking down the prophecies. The prophet Daniel, okay, we're going to start in Daniel chapter 12. At that time, this is talking about the great tribute. You'll see it. It's going to talk about it in a second. It is a troubled time for the Jewish people. Michael, the archangel Michael, shall stand up. Okay, now Michael is the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. The archangel Michael, okay, this is in the supernatural realm. We don't fully understand this. The archangel Michael protects the Jewish people, your people, Daniel's people, the Jewish people. It says at that time when Michael stands up, there will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. Okay, this is the worst time in human history. And the Bible speaks about this again and again and again. At that time, your people will be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. Remember, Jesus said, don't rejoice when, when the disciples came back that the demons obey you or anything like that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We know in Revelation, there's the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the universe. It's amazing, but these are the redeemed, the people bought back by the blood of Christ way before Christ is born. He goes on to say, many of those who sleep, is talking about the resurrection, are dead in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So, Revelation brings this to light. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. We're not going to go too much into it. It says war broke out in heaven. Now, Revelation 12, you're deep into the tribulation. I don't care about all the little parts to the exact month of the tribulation, but many cataclysmic judgments have already happened. There's serious persecution going on. Uh, the seals are done. The trumpets are done. I mean, it's it, you're deep into it. War broke out in heaven. Michael, remember Michael stands up in Daniel, 700 years, Revelation brings it to light. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, the devil, and the dragon and his angels fought. And so at this point, the devil is cast out of the universe, the galaxies, the heavens, where, where Ephesians says he rules or has authority, it will be cast and, and, and bound to earth, and it will bring about the worst time in human history, Okay. Mark chapter 13, Jesus, in his Olivet Discourse, talking about the end of the age, he says, In those days, just like Daniel, there will be tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever will be. This verse is very important. This is saying this tribulation coming is worse than the Noahic flood, which most theologians estimate hundreds of millions of people died. This is the worst time in human history. This is a scary time. Also, this verse is very important because some people say Revelation and all these prophecies were fulfilled at the first Roman siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But this is clearly talking about a time that's the worst time ever in history. And, and in World War II, six, way more people died, Jews and Gentiles, in World War II than happened here. So it, it, these events weren't talking about World War II either. They're talking about the culmination 
of, of, of history, ushering in that millennial reign of Christ, the, the end of the age. Back to Daniel now. Daniel's getting this vision. He says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Okay. And so very important. He's saying at this time, those who are wise are going to turn people towards Christ, repenting and believing in him away from wickedness. Right. Then he says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. So once again, Daniel is clear. He's talking about the time of the end. Many will run to and fro and knowledge will increase. And these words typically mean people will run to and fro searching for knowledge. At the end times, I believe many people are going to be reading the Bible, Daniel and Revelation, trying to make sense of everything that's going on. Unfortunately, they won't really be searching for Jesus or forgiveness of sins. They'll just be searching for uh, you know, what do I do now that all this is going on? How do I, you know, live my best life now? All the things they're searching for now, but at the time of the end, they might be using a Bible to do that. And, and the redeemed, the, the born again believers during the tribulation of which there'll be many, they'll be reading these things and it'll be amazing to them and it'll strengthen their faith and en encourage them for the tough times ahead. Daniel goes on to write, hold on one second. Let me just look over this really quick. Oh, Okay. So a man clothed in linen, these are angels, who's above the waters of the river. He's receiving a vision. I'm not going into all of it with you. But he asks him, he asks him, uh, how long will these things be? Like, when is this going to be fulfilled? And he tells him it'll be for a time, times, and half a time. Now, if that were all I have, times is one, times is two, and half a time. That's three and a half years, guys. Time one, times two, and half, three and a half. If all I had were time, times, and half a time, I wouldn't be so confident of that. But as you study Daniel and Revelation, you see it's also called half a week of years, which is three and a half years. It's also specifically called 1260 days, which is three and a half years, 30 day years in Jewish time. And it's called 42 months, three and a half years. The, the, the great tribulation, the worst time for human history is going to be three and a half years. The entire tribulation will probably be about seven years, but that final three and a half year period, you've got to open your eyes. You know, many things are going to be going on for the Jewish people. Jerusalem's going to be sieged. They're going to be hated. They're probably going to be sold as slaves, treated horribly. But this is when God says it's finished. This is what I really want to key you guys in on here. It says when the power of the holy people, the separate people, God's people has been completely shattered all these things will be finished. God is waiting till the last hour, till it just looks like the Jewish people have absolutely no hope, horrible tribulation, horrible times, serious, you know, devil and antichrist persecution. Their power is completely shattered. They have no hope but God. <laughs> and so he goes on to say, go your way, Daniel. The words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many will be purified, made white, and refined. This is really key for the Great Tribulation, but even for, you know, in America, if we go through any sort of tough times, any sort of tribulation for the church in America, because we don't know when the end is, it's for a purpose of purifying his church, making them white, refining them, getting rid of the nonsense, getting rid of the filth, getting rid of false believers. But the, the true believers at a time of trouble, they strengthen themselves. They draw near to the Lord that, you know, they don't care about some of these worldly nonsensical things. But, and this verse is key, 
The wicked will do wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. It doesn't matter how clear the signs of the times are during the tribulation, the wicked will not understand. They'll be given over to a delusion. But the wise will understand. And I believe the wise are just those who love God, trust God, and look to his word for wisdom. That's it. So that's what Daniel says about this time. And it's kind of vague. You know there's going to be a really bad time. You know there's going to be a tribulation. You know it's talking about the time of the end because it says it. You know it's going to be roughly three and a half years. You know some things. Let's go to Jeremiah now. Jeremiah is talking about this time. And once again, it's a little bit vague. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. I'll cause them to return to the land, Israel, that I gave to their fathers, and they will possess it. He goes on to say, For thus says the Lord, we've heard a voice of trembling, of fear, not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. God is saying, there's trembling, there's fear, screaming, panic. Uh, Has a man ever been in labor with child? Obviously not. Men cannot get pregnant, contrary to what some people are saying today. So why do I see every man with his hand on his loins like a woman in labor? All faces have turned pale. This is abject terror. Your, Your face is pale. Your hands are on your stomach. You're just terrified. Why? God says. He says, alas, for that day is great. So none is like it. Just like Jesus said in Matthew, nothing is like this time. It is the time of Jacob's trouble, the Jewish people's trouble. But this is beautiful. He will be saved out of it. For it will come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will break his yoke from your neck. He's saying you will be enslaved by foreigners, just like the Jewish people have for the last 2,000 years, a horrible time of persecution, horrible time of trouble. God will break that yoke, burst the bonds, and they will never be enslaved again. Speaking about these birth pains, Jesus says, you know, he talks about war and strife, famines, pestilence, earthquakes. And he says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. That word is the exact word, birth pains, like the birth pains. Jesus described the tribulation as birth pains. They get worse and worse and worse and worse. They start out pretty bad, but they get, you know, horrible. Um, Then they deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians to the church, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. He's talking about the day of the Lord. He uses the same terminology. Paul learned his eschatology, his end time study from Jesus. Like labor pains getting worse and worse upon a pregnant woman, they will not escape. Okay? Jeremiah goes on to say, so way back to the Old Testament now. God says, he promises them, I'm with you, says the Lord to save you. This is a really key prophecy. It really lets you understand what's going on in the tribulation a bit. Though I make a full end of all nations where I've scattered you, there is a serious judgment for those nations. They're going to be obliterated. Yet I will not make a complete end of you. The nation of Israel will not be judged and destroyed like the other nations. But this is key. I will correct you in justice. I will not let you go altogether unpunished. This is the point of the tribulation. God is going to save the Jewish people. They are going to be a victim to the nations. However, 
they're in apostasy. They're judged righteously. So he is going to correct them in justice. They will not be altogether unpunished. The point of the tribulation is to refine them, purify them, have them call upon the name of the Lord, banish the ones. Two-thirds of Israel doesn't get saved. Only one-third does. So the, the minority. It's going to be a millions and millions of people, biggest revival ever, but there's going to be correction. There's going to be justice as well for them. They're not all promised salvation. I'll, I'll show you that in a bit. He finishes up Jeremiah this chapter with, the fierce anger of the Lord will not return until he has done it, until he has performed the intents of his heart. The Bible reveals God's will. Revelation, all these judgments, they reveal God's will. It's what his heart desires. And then it says, in the latter days, you will consider it. You will understand in the latter days. Throughout the entire thousand year millennial reign of Christ, people are going to be like talking about, whoa, like during the tribulation, this happened and this happened. We'll understand it so much more clearly in the latter days once it's already happened. And that's the point of prophecy. It's to give us enough of a picture to maybe see things coming a little bit. Uh, but after they happen, they become abundantly clear how God specifically fulfilled all his prophecies. Now, two chapters later, Jeremiah, here's another prophecy. I will gather them out of all countries where I've driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. I'll bring them back to this place and I'll cause them to dwell, dwell safely. Okay, they're going to be scattered again, tribulation, then brought back. They'll be my people and I will be their God. They will be saved. And this is so key from Deuteronomy to Jeremiah now, separated by like a thousand years. Here's the promise of salvation again. Then I will give them one heart, a new heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. This is how we know another Old Testament proof of a millennial kingdom, a millennial reign of Christ. Okay, when Christ comes back, he's going to save his Jewish people, but they're going to have children for that thousand years. Jesus said very clearly in the new heaven and new earth, the eternal state there's no children being born. So I believe a huge point of the millennial kingdom is I believe billions and billions of believers are going to be born. Not every single person is going to be a believer, but Jesus will rule the earth. It won't be that everyone's a believer during this time. I've made a millennial kingdom, but I think that's the point of it. With Jesus reigning and the nations uh, worshiping correctly, I believe many people will have, you know, possibly hundreds of millions or billions of believers will, will be born again in that time or, or born and come to salvation, okay? For the good of their children after them. I'll make an everlasting covenant with them. This is the eternal covenant with the eternal high priest, Jesus Christ, offering the eternal sacrifice of his own eternal blood. This is the, this is way before the church, hundreds of years. This is the covenant we're in. If you're in Christ, they're going to come into their own covenant. They're going to come into the same covenant as us that I'll not turn away from doing them good, but I'll put my fear in their hearts so they will not depart from me. They will be born again. I, I love seeing this here. I'll cleanse them from all their iniquity, he says, by which they've sinned against me. I'll pardon all their iniquities by which they've sinned and by which they've transgressed against me. They didn't even understand how he was going to do that, but now we know he's going to sacrifice his own son. Then it will be to me a name of joy, a praise, and an honor before all the nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I do to them. They'll fear and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity I provide for it. 
Jerusalem and Israel and the Jewish people will lead the nations in the millennial kingdom with Jesus Christ at the head. And all the nations will see all the good God does for them and they'll rejoice and it'll be amazing. So in Jeremiah, once again, we have a rebellion, scattering, gathering back to the land, a time of tribulation, obviously the birth pains, and finally spiritual salvation. Now we're going to get into specifics, specifics. We are going to get into Ezekiel. We're going to tie it in with Zechariah. And I'm even going to bring in some current events of some of these prophecies and some foreshadowings. They're truly amazing. But when we tie these in, just keep your, like, like stay focused because tying in Ezekiel and Zechariah with the New Testament revelation, it becomes just the clearest picture ever of the coming, you know, second coming and the spiritual salvation. Okay, so we're going to start in Ezekiel 38. So we're going to go through 30,000 foot view, Ezekiel 38 and 39, but we're not breaking down Gog and Magog. We're not, you know, going through this in specificity. You're just supposed to get the main events here. 30,000 foot view. Do not get caught in the weeds. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, remember, this is 500 to 800 years before Jesus is even born. I'm against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. So, doesn't matter who Gog is right now. Doesn't matter who these nations are right now. The point is they are an enemy of Israel. A massive horde of armies against Israel. That's all you need to know. That's it. Just enemies of Israel. I'll turn you around and put hooks in your jaws like a fish. I'll lead you out. With all your army, horses and horsemen, splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. So th that's all I want you to know. We're not breaking down who this is or what specific nations. I'll give you one nation in a second that everyone agrees on, but I'm not going in the weeds at all. The point is, we're talking about this tribulation coming. We're talking about this siege coming. Ezekiel's bringing it to light. There's going to be a horde of armies attacking Israel. We're, we're talking about Armageddon here, the coming final clash, okay? Now, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are all with them with shield and helmet. I just want to talk about this one, literally just Persia. Every theologian agrees. Persia is Iran. All the other ones, we can study some other time. We can go through another time. I'm going to show you a news article, but Israel and Iran right now are at, a, a, you know, they're having a, a sort of a nuclear standoff with Iran pursuing nuclear weapons. So I'll bring that up later. But everyone agrees. This isn't controversial. Per, like Iran was literally called Persia like 70 years ago. So very clear. You have a huge army approaching Israel. They're actually being led. They're being led against them for this final clash. Revelation brings it to light. Okay, Revelation brings it to light. About seven, written about seven hundred years later, it says in the end times. Revelation sixteen is is the you know gathering together of them for Armageddon. It says there's spirits of demons performing signs. So there's going to be demons performing signs on the earth. They're going out to the kings of the earth, the nations, and of the whole world to gather them together to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Then Jesus says, behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches. That's, that's like a little hint. He's saying when all these nations gather, when everything's going on, this is when I'm coming, right? The next verse says they gather them together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon, Har Megiddo, the plain of Megiddo that I showed you in the beginning. And so it's a real place. Napoleon called it the finest battlefield he has ever seen. That's where it's going to take place. During this time of tribulation, during this siege, all the nations are going to gather against Israel. 
that's all you really need to know. And it says in Ezekiel and in Revelation, they're going to be drawn with hooks. Something is going to compel them. You know, Revelation brings to light Ezekiel. Ezekiel says, you're going to be drawn with hooks. Revelation shows that. It says, you're going to be so compelled by these false miracles and demonic spirits, you're going to like rush and sprint towards Israel, you know, or towards, you know, that nation. So Ezekiel then goes on to say, after many days, this horde of enemies will be visited. In the latter years, you will come into the land of, this is crazy. This is so like, if you don't get this, it's just because I'm a bad teacher. It's not because it's not there. So study it on your own time. The land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel. That's, I mean, the Jewish people are there now. I'm not saying it's the end times now. It's just amazing which had long been desolate. The land was desolate before they came back. They were brought out of the nations and now all of them dwell safely. Amazing. I mean, Israel is an incredibly safe nation today. Goes on to say, you're going to come up against my people, Israel, like a cloud to cover the land, just swarming, just probably possibly billions, hundreds of millions of people. It'll be in the latter days, I'll bring you against my land. Latter days, bringing you against the land. So that this is the whole point of Armageddon. One for the nations and one for the, the redeemed Jewish people. Okay, it's kind of the same point. So that the nations may know me. Right now, the majority of the church is the nations, the Gentiles, and some believing Jews. And right now is the day of salvation. Jesus is reaching out his hand. He's saying, come to me, have mercy, have mercy. When he comes back, he's coming in judgment. And so this event, Armageddon, is so that the nations know who God is. It says, when I am hollowed in you, O Gog, just think of that as the, the mighty armies before their eyes. When we, when we say the prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, it's the same thing. It's the name. Who is God? What's he like? This cataclysmic battle is how God has decided. This is how the nations will know who I really am. It's it's fearful language. He goes on to say, it will come to pass uh, at the same time when Gog, when all these armies come against the land of Israel, that my fury will show in my face for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath, I have spoken. God will be so that the, the anger and the fury, number one, because the Jewish people will be led into idolatry, worshiping of Antichrist. The redeemed Jewish people will be persecuted like no other time in human history. There will be such a persecution and, and there will be such a wrath being built up. But God is patiently waiting for this moment. And this is when he pours it out. Surely in that day, there will be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. Revelation brings that to light in a second. Remember the earthquake. Ezekiel, the Old Testament God's the same God as the New Testament. Jesus wrote the whole Bible, I tell people, because it's his spirit. The Holy Spirit wrote it, okay? So, great earthquake in the land of Israel, fury. It says, I'll bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I'll rain down on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him. Flooding rain, great hailstones. Remember the hailstones, fire and brimstone. And then Revelation brings this to light with more clarity. It's Revelation 16 are the bowls of wrath. It's the very end of the tribulation. It's, it's after the gathering for Armageddon. It's so clear. It's there were noises and thunderings and lightning, a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as has not occurred since men were on the earth. 
And a couple of verses down, it says, Great hail fell from heaven upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent, 600 pounds. Men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Many people don't take Revelation literally, but when you look at the Old Testament, you study Ezekiel and you see the exact things Ezekiel's talking about at this time of a great clash of people, then in Revelation, 700 years later, there's a great clash, a great battle, and then there's a great earthquake and great hail. I mean, it's the Bible is a perfect puzzle. It fits together. It's all there to show us what is going to happen in part, not in, in completion, but at least in part. So back to Ezekiel now. God says, I'll make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. This is key. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Surely it is coming and it will be done, says the Lord God. This is so key. This is the day of which I have spoken. This is the Old Testament, you know, climactic day of the Lord. This is the New Testament, clear second coming of Christ. This is not the lamb dying for his people. This is the conquering king coming back to save them. This is just beautiful. This is the day of which I have spoken. He's saying like this battle, this culminating, this is the day. It, it's an amazing verse. One of my favorite verses. Goes on to say, Ezekiel 39, As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every sort of bird and every beast of the field. Assemble, he's calling all the birds, literally. Gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal, which I'm sacrificing for you. A great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. It says you're going to eat the flesh of the mighty. It's talking about a judgment. These hordes of people are going to be killed at the second coming of Christ by Christ. Then he calls the birds to feed on them. He's basically, you know, saying this is this is like not a sacrifice for sins. He's he's he uses this imagery all throughout the Old Testament. It's it's a judgment, and he calls the birds to gorge on them. Revelation 19 brings this to light. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. This is right after the second coming of Christ in wrath, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. It's This is why Jesus, when he's talking about the end of the age in Matthew 24, says wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered. There the birds will be gathered. And so now we get to the culmination of Ezekiel 39. It's incredible. These words are incredible. Study them. If you don't get this, it's just because I'm a bad teacher. It's not because it's not there. This is amazing. So the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord, their God. This is so key. From that day forward. Those four words, if you understand them, you will get end times prophecy and eschatology so clear. From that day forward. That means before that day, the house of Israel does not know who the Lord their God is. They don't realize Jesus Christ is the Yahweh of the Old Testament, that Jesus Christ is fully man and fully God, and that Jesus is Lord. But it's saying on that day they will. So after Armageddon, after the tribulation, after these things, then the Jewish people will know that he is the Lord their God from that day forward. So obviously for them to be gathered back to the land and then this battle to take place and then they know from that day forward who the Lord is, they have to be gathered in unbelief. And so that's where I find the Bible is so clear on this and that's how they're gathered today. 
Ezekiel 39 goes on to say, Then they will know that I am the Lord their God, who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land and left none of them captive anymore. This last verse is so key, and it ties into Zechariah so clearly. I will not hide my face from them anymore. In the New Testament, it says the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. Right now, the Jewish people cannot see the glory of God. There's a veil. I had this veil. They cannot see Jesus in the Old Testament. They can't see Jesus as God. It says in that day, he'll not hide his face from any more, for I will have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. When Jacob wrestled with a man and he says, I've seen the Lord in the Old Testament, he says, I've seen God face to face. The glory of God is in the God man of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's amazing. So I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I will have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. So very clearly you have the rebellion and scattering, gathering back to the land in unbelief, a time of great tribulation, a massive Armageddon-like battle, hordes of enemies coming against the land of Israel, and finally spiritual salvation. And now Zechariah is going to make it so clear. It's the clearest thing. We're going to tie it in with Revelation uh, a little bit, and you're going to see it all come to life, and then we're, we're going to finish up. It's truly beautiful. Zechariah 12, about 500 years before Jesus is born. So bear with me here. We're going to go from Zechariah 12 to 14, back to 13, and we're going to first talk about what's going to be going on nationally. This, this geopolitical, tons of things are going to be happening. It says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, right? So there's going to be a siege against Jerusalem. And when the nations come around, it's going to be like they come there and they stumble. They're drunk. They're, they're in a daze. They're confused. It will happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces. This is so clear. Imagine a large stone. You're trying to get rid of it. You're trying to, like Hitler, annihilate the Jewish people, the nation. Everyone who comes against it, they're going to be cut in pieces. They can't get rid of it. It's like breaking your back as you try and throw a stone away. And then it says so clearly, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. This is what will happen. Scripture cannot be broken. Zechariah 14 talks about this. He says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Your spoil will be divided in your midst. It's saying that the nation of Israel, the Jewish people in Jerusalem will be plundered. This is talking about a bad time for them. It says, For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city will be taken. So you got to kind of open up your eyes. There's going to be real things happening during the tribulation. It's not just like one event and then another event and then another event. The city's going to be taken. The house is rifled and the women ravished. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's a brutal persecution. People are going to be stealing from them again. Half of the city goes into captivity. So there's half of the city is going away into captivity. So this could be part of that siege that lasts years. But it's not like they're going to be fully and finally conquered. And I, I believe part of the reason for that might be because Israel has nuclear weapons today. It's okay to siege them and to come after them, but it'd be really hard to, you know, annihilate them. But I could be totally wrong. But the remnant of the people will not be cut off from the city. There's a remnant. The born again people are going to be in the city of Jerusalem. You're going to see it in a second. It says, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. 
So chronologically, it could be that this is part of the siege. Half the city goes out. The women are you know, ravished. The house is rifled. And then three and a half years later, it could say, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. So it's not, you know, we tend to read things like immediate, immediate, immediate. That's not how Bible prophecy works. This tribulation, it's years. And that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, right where Jesus ascended. He will descend, which faces Jerusalem on the east, right near Mount Zion. And the Mount of Olives will crack in two from east to west. It'll make a large valley. And they're literally going to flee through that. The Jewish people under persecution are just going to flee. It's going to be amazing. Going back to Zechariah 12 now, it says, In that day I'll make the governors of Judah like a fire pan in the wood pile, like a fiery torch in the sheaves. They shall devour all the surrounding peoples. So not only is God coming back in judgment, but he's going to supernaturally empower the people in Jerusalem like a torch among sheaves of grain. Like you just, it just goes up. You know, it's, they're going to just devour. They're going to be like, like conquering people. Like Jesus is the conquering king. They're like little conquering kings, right? So he's not, you know, it's just amazing. He's going to use them in that ministry of judgment. Okay. Uh, and on the left, Jerusalem will be inhabited again in her own place. Jerusalem. Okay. Goes on to say, Zechariah 12, 9, it'll be in that day that I'll seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. They're all going to be gathered around Jerusalem, around Israel, at the plain of Megiddo. All the nations are going to be everywhere. Hundreds of miles of enemy hordes during the end of this tribulation. And, and God is going to come in at the last hour. And look now, Zechariah 12, 10, probably my favorite verse in the whole Bible of how the Jewish nation gets saved. Let me just draw a picture for you. The Jewish people are fleeing through a mountain. There's cataclysmic judgments, comets falling. There's literally total darkness over parts of the world, horrible times. And this is how Jesus comes back and saves them. Check this out. I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Remember, the remnants not cut off from Jerusalem. The spirit of grace. This is the Holy Spirit. Paul in the New Testament says, do not insult the spirit of grace. The spirit of grace and supplications, mourning, they'll cry out in prayer. Then they will look on me. Open your eyes. This is written 500 years before Jesus is born. They will look on me. God is speaking here, Yahweh whom they pierced. It's so clear it's talking about Jesus. Yes, they will mourn for him, cry as one mourns for his only son. The father's love is going to be poured in their heart and they're going to see the pierced one and, and love him a little bit like the father and see that the son has been pierced and that they've rejected him, right? They'll mourn, they'll cry out. There's going to be a great mourning, a great crying in that day all throughout Jerusalem, it says later on. They'll grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn a pierced one, an only son. This is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, so clearly. Ezekiel 39, remember, it says, I won't hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit. So God pours out his spirit, and then they look on the pierced one. They're finally going to look at him, and they're going to say, oh, it was him all along. What were we doing? There's going to be a great mourning. Isaiah is written 700 years before Jesus is even born. He was pierced for our transgression. Revelation 1, 7, written after Jesus' death, Look, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, the Jewish people. They will look on the pierced one. They will cry. There's a great mourning throughout the whole land. Everybody nationally and corporately and everyone individually. Because salvation may take place at the same time nationally. It might, you, your whole family might get saved in one moment. 
but individually it happens within our hearts. And this is just beautiful. This is how Israel gets saved. This is the biggest revival ever coming. Right after that, it says, in that day, a fountain will be open for the house of David and the inhabitants in Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. So there's going to be sin and uncleanness all the way up until the second coming. It's so clear. It says, in that day, the Lord of hosts will cut off the names of the idols. There's going to be idolatry, antichrist worship, image worship, all the way up until the end. Then he cuts off the name. So he comes back, there's salvation. Then he cuts them off. They'll no longer be remembered. I'll also cause the prophets, false prophets, and the unclean spirit, typically dealing with like sexual immorality, false idolatry, to depart from the land. You see the order is so clear. And so I want to finish just bringing to light. There's a couple of news articles I want you to see. And then I want to answer that question if this means we're in the end times. I mean, there's amazing signs, but I also want to be balanced. But I want to bring this to light. Revelation 11.8. So remember, Zechariah 13, 1 and 2, it says, on that day, there's going to be a fountain. That's the fountain of life. Jesus Christ, he stood up at the feast and said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. Right after they look at the pierced one, that fountain is the Holy Spirit cleansing them and their land from sin. But Revelation 11 kind of brings these sins to light. Very specifically, we hear about prophets, idolatry, and, and unclean, immorality, right? And so if you're just, if Revelation were never written, and you just had the Old Testament, you'd be like, all right, at the time of the end, this pierced one's coming back and, you know, there's going to be idolatry, false prophets and immorality, right? And then you get to Revelation and it says that, okay? Don't worry too much about what Revelation is about. It's about the two witnesses. It says they're dead bodies. The two witnesses are killed, okay? And, and all you need to know is they lie in the street of the great city, okay? So what great city is this, all right? Very clearly, it says spiritually, it's called Sodom and Egypt, okay? Spiritually, this great city is called Sodom and Egypt, but physically, it's where also our Lord was crucified. So Revelation is kind of like a parable. It's meant that if you don't thoughtfully study the word of God, you won't really get it. But if you thoughtfully study it, it's actually very simple. The Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. Done. That is where this city is. But spiritually, it's called Sodom. Out of Sodom, if you read Genesis 18, 19, uh, that's where we get the term for sodomy. That's LGBT lifestyle, rampant sexual immorality, pride, you name it. But really talking about, you know, sexual immorality. And Egypt. Well, what's Egypt? Egypt was known for idolatry. They brought idols out of Egypt. They even served the other gods while they were in Egypt. So this is so clearly saying at the time of the end, there's going to be massive events happening with these two witnesses in Jerusalem, where the Lord was crucified. And Jerusalem is going to be overcome with sexual immorality and idolatry. And so you look at Egypt and idolatry. I mean, you go to Israel today. This is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. I mean, when it's talking in Zechariah about these false prophets, they could just be Islamic converts. They could be uh, Islams that all of a sudden start talking about false Christ. Jesus said many false Christs and false prophets are going to pop up and say, Jesus is here. Jesus is there. Do not listen to them. They're going to deceive and captivate many. So Islam is, you know, growing in Israel, growing throughout the Middle East. Also, if you go to Israel, there's a lot of Catholicism. In fact, I went to Israel before I was saved, <laughs> before I was born again, and I literally ended up bowing down to a statue of Mary because I was going to places, and I'm not even kidding, I'm talking bowing down, like under a little table, like full on bowing to this thing. 
And because I was going to a place that I thought was Christian, I was walking in darkness. I didn't understand Jesus or salvation, but this place, I I believe it was the church of the Holy Sepulcher. There were a bunch of like nuns with robes and no shoes on and some priests. And they were like, to get into this place, you have to like go under this thing and bow to this statue. And it was so creepy. But at the time I didn't know what I was doing. I was losing my mind. So if you just go to Israel right now and you're not saved, you're going to fall into idolatry. It's literally everywhere. So you see that now and you see it prophesied thousands of years ago. As far as sexual immorality, uh, Tel Aviv, the capital city in Israel, is literally one of the five uh, of the world's most gay-friendly cities. Um, Here's articles, very recent. Thousands join gay pride parade in conservative Jerusalem. This is from 2021. Jerusalem has actually been called, and Israel has actually been called a haven, a haven in the Middle East, because Islam is very against uh, LGBTQ type behavior. Um, And so Israel, in their apostasy, has sort of fallen into just really rampant sexual immorality and idolatry, just like the Bible said they would. And so they've become a haven, you know, through democracy for uh, this type of behavior just like the Bible says. And so I wanted to finish with just two articles. So you have you, you have the Jews gathered back to Israel, right? I'm showing you like signs of the times right now. You have the Jews gathered back to Israel in unbelief, in idolatry, in apostasy, rejecting the Messiah, in sexual immorality. Um, the reason why I brought up only Iran earlier is because everyone agrees one of the nations coming against Israel in the end time is Iran. No one disagrees on that because per- Persia is Iran. That's no- Nobody questions that. And so if we focus on what's abundantly clear, I believe the Bible's more exciting. If we try and get in the weeds of who is Gog and who's this, then it can be a little more divisive. But everyone agrees Iran's one of the actors. Right now, uh, this is literally posted today or yesterday, April 13th. Israel says Iran has nearly enough uranium for a bomb, a nuclear bomb. There is huge talks going on in, in Israel, with America, with Iran right now. This has been going on for decades, this war between Israel and Iran. At the end times, whenever that is, this war will kind of culminate. But there is a lot of drama between Israel and Iran right now because Israel is a very strong military. They're a nuclear power. They're not going to let Iran get a nuclear weapon. But Iran is very, very close. Also, when we talk about the nations coming against Israel and hating them, there is a global rise in anti-Semitism right now. It's so clear. This is from literally two weeks ago. I couldn't believe it when I read this. The United Nations Human Rights Council, it's so hypocritical. They approved four anti-Israel resolutions, anti-Zionists, you know, we hate the Jews back in their land type sentiments. And they called for an arms embargo, no weapons to be given to Israel. The council was an echo chamber of fantasy and hatred. This is in the Jerusalem Post. This is what's heartbreaking, guys. Four anti-Israel resolutions. Israel has a population of like Colorado or Georgia. Like nothing. They're a small little country, okay? Four anti-Israel resolutions. North Korea, literally butchering millions, starving their population. Iran, sponsoring global terrorism. China, Shanghai is locked down this week. People are starving. I mean, they have camps of Uyghur Muslims. I mean, they, I mean, horrible things happen in China and Russia is literally bombing Ukraine. The second they only had like one resolution against them. 
But Israel, which there's some unfair things that happen in Israel. I'm not saying every Jewish person or Israeli person is perfect. I'm saying they're not the problem of what is going on in the world. There's not horrible human rights abuses happening in Israel. They have enemies. They fight against their enemies. They're very fair in warfare, just like America. And so it's so hypocritical, but it shows you this anti-Semitism. It's going to ramp up and up and up. And right now it's really at a fever pitch. So you do have the Jews gathered back to the land. You have hostility with Iran and Persia. You have sexual immorality. You have idolatry. You have national hatred of them. And so it's, it's just very clear. All these signs are in the Bible if you look at them. This is how the Jewish people would be gathered back to their land. So now I want to answer this question and bring up some Bible verses to help keep us balanced. Is the Jewish people being regathered in the land a sign we are near the end times? And, and here's how I want to answer it, and then I want to show you the Bible verses. The signs are clear that these things will happen. However, it's not an absolute guarantee that we're 50 years or 20 years or two years from the end times because they have been gathered back in the past and then expelled again. So for all we know, they're going to come under a tribulation two years from now, be scattered around the world again, and 500 years from now be brought back, and then the tribulation happens. That is possible, okay? We know they can't be stamped out completely, but they could go through another tribulation without it being the final one. Also, this weird state that they are in right now, people looking at the sign of the times, all these different things, they could stay in this sort of anxious, regathered state, four or 500 years and, and fall further into idolatry, and then the end could come. So it's not 100% clear when it will happen. Nobody knows the day or the hour. However, are the signs there? Absolutely. You know, people call you foolish or silly or a conspiracy theorist. If you just read the word of God, yes, them being gathered back to their land is astounding. Yes, them in idolatry and immorality and having trouble with Persia and trouble with the nations is astounding. I mean, if you read the United Nations minutes, all the nations in the world are really on top of Israel, and they're a small little country of like 10 million people. I mean, it's just, they're nothing. China has 1.3 billion people. I mean, it's just, the national focus there is very prophetic. That being said, 1 Corinthians 13, this keeps me balanced. We know in part, and we prophesy in part. We do not know every little bit, and you have to examine all things, hold fast what is true, but... Matthew chapter 24, this is what Jesus said. Watch, therefore, after all these signs, nations against Israel, the abomination of desolation, pestilence, famines, wars, watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Okay, First Thessalonians, he, he went on to say it's like a fig tree. You can see some of the signs when the figs are starting to get ripe, like, hey, we might be around the season, but you don't really know. Uh, in, in To the church, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he says, You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. It's a surprise. For when they, non-believers, say peace and safety, there'll probably be a peace agreement between the Jewish people in Israel and Iran and whoever the Antichrist is at that time will do it. And maybe world peace as well. Everyone's, oh, things are good. We're ushering in our own utopia. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains. They get worse and worse and worse upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you brethren are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. He's saying there, just like Jesus said, there are signs. There will be signs. You, you'll kind of, I mean, I think there's signs right now where if Jesus came back tomorrow, I wouldn't be shocked with all these signs. Um, but 
I also wouldn't be shocked if it was a hundred or a thousand years from now. God is sovereign and it, it will happen in his time. So we don't want to be imbalanced, but I want to finish with, with these signs, they're amazing. They're fantastic. What do we do with them? As Christians, like how can we serve our Lord with them? What's the point of all these signs? What's the point of all this prophecy and bringing to remembrance all the promises of God? Matthew 24 makes this so clear. Right after the end times talk with Jesus, right after all of that discourse, he says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them his sheep? Jesus said, If you love me, feed my sheep. Food in due season. Okay? His sheep hear his voice and they follow him. His sheep need to know his word. They don't need my opinion. They don't need your opinion. Uh, these eschatological end times prophecies are amazing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with studying them. You should study the whole counsel of the word of God and, and you should dedicate your life to it. However, don't get caught where you're just looking for signs all the time and sitting behind a computer and you're never out there telling the sheep the good news that Christ died for the ungodly or going to church and feeding them. If the Lord is feeding you through his word and you really feel like you understand it, like it makes sense to you, you're comfortable with your sword, you're comfortable with the Bible, it makes sense. You then go and feed people. It could be feeding your family or a family member. It could be feeding one person. It could be feeding a small Bible study. It doesn't matter what it is. His sheep hear his voice. They know him. They follow him. And you feed them his word.